Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. The number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's all now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to Mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports. Today's guest, as we continue on our college basketball preview theme this week, is one of the dual threats covering the sport, not only in studio as a great studio analyst for CBS Sports, but also a tremendous writer for The Athletic, Seth Davis. Seth, Appreciate you joining. I understand you live in Southern California, so you got some good weather still. I do, and I've I've been to Spokane this time of year, and I know you have some good weather still, but that's going to change here soon. That's why that's why we have college basketball to keep us warm during those winter months. Yeah, you mentioned coming up to Spokane. I believe it was two years ago, the year before COVID. Uh, you know, really kind of put a damper on college basketball and sports in general, but. You were up here. We had a chance to connect, sit down at Jack and Dan's with a, a couple of former Zags, talk Gonzaga basketball memories, talk about Coach Few. What are your favorite memories from that trip up here? Because if I'm not mistaken, Coach Few got you out wakeboarding in northern Idaho, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. He he most certainly did. I was you talk about the double dipping. Um, so I was also there. Um uh, if memory serves at that same time, working on something for CBS, we have a series called uh, the men of March, where you go to uh, a coach's house and, and uh, interview him. I, these may have been different visits now that I, now that I think about it, but um, yeah. So, you know, coach few after, you know, bragging about his prowess uh, as a, as a fly fisherman uh, took us out on the river and let, let the record show there was only one fish caught that day. It was a very small and unimpressive fish, but a fish nonetheless. And it was not caught by Coach Few. I'll leave you to uh, fill in the blanks as to who snagged that. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, Dan, I really felt like, first of all, I, I never can say enough about what Gonzaga, I think people just take for granted Gonzaga, like, oh, they're preseason normal. Like, like, I laugh when people say, oh, but they haven't won the title yet. I'm like, this is freaking Gonzaga. Do you understand what you're talking about here? Uh, a school to go to the national championship game twice in a four-year span. I mean, that that's almost never happened in the entire history of the game. So my intent with that story was to write the sort of soup to nuts, um, 360 degree story about why Gonzaga does what it does. Sure, the coach is an important piece, but it's got to be all in from the leadership at the top to the folks in the community to the folks who go into Jack and Dance to, 
you know, uh, enjoy themselves watching games, both there and in person, supporting, you know, donating, supporting, turning out the, the whole deal. So uh, it's an unbelievable culture and an unbelievable place and a, and, a, and a great, great town. I can see why you're still there. Yeah, I, I love living here in Spokane. It's a great size. It's got enough of a big city feel, yet it's small enough where you don't have as many of the possible problems and issues you might have in a big city. Uh, but with your travels for both CBS and with The Athletic, uh, have you ever had a sit down or or, an, or a weekend such as the one at Gonzaga you mentioned where you went in with one expectation about a coach and a program, thinking it was one way, but when you left, it was completely different, maybe for the better or for the worse? Well, first of all, I always try to go in with an open mind. So you have, you know, you're sort of preconceived notions or your impressions going in. Um, but, you know, I also really do my homework. So I, I you know, don't um, sit down with people unless I've really, you know, basically read everything that can possibly be read about them between Nexus searches and, and, and Google. So, um, you know, I don't know that I necessarily have it like a hugely different impression, but, um, you know, as, as you say, that one that pops to mind is an experience I had many, many years ago when Rick Pitino was a coach at Louisville. Uh, and Rick Patino was no fan of uh, Sports Illustrated because when he was the coach at Kentucky, we ran a cover story written by uh, the late, great uh, Bill Knack um, with the, the cover billing on the title, A Man Possessed, uh, and it was all about sort of Patino's intensity and it had, frankly, a kind of satanic uh, edge to it, which some inferences, you know, Man Possessed and all that. And uh, with, for a nice Catholic boy growing up in, in uh, New York, didn't go over too well. So he really did not like Sports Illustrated. Um, and so he had gotten to Louisville and sort of kind of had this fresh start after his bottoming out with the, the Celtics. He also had the, the searing experience of 9-11 where he lost his brother-in-law and had sort of, you know, let go of a lot of anger. And so their SID, who's still their SID there, Kenny Klein, is a great guy, went to bat for me. And he suggested to Patino, he said, I think you should talk to this guy. And I went in there and went up to his office and interviewed him there. And after it was over, and I just started working for CBS and, and Rick had worked a little bit for CBS. So we just started talking and I ended up sitting at, in his office for like almost an hour to the point where Kenny came back up and he's like, what the hell's going on up here with you guys? So that might be an example where from a coach's point of view, he, he saw something that he didn't necessarily uh, expect, but I'm very lucky, Dan, in terms of working for Sports Illustrated, CBS, now The Athletic, being kind of a national writer where I can go into town and I can go fishing with a guy. I can sit in a guy's living room. I can go to dinner. I can, you know, talk. I just was in Indiana. I talked for about an hour and a half with Mike Woodson in his office for a story I'm working on. So, you know, getting that access is, is really 90% of the job. And then it's what you do with it from there that really makes a difference. As I mentioned in the intro, you do a lot of studio analyst work for CBS, and then you also a lot, a lot, write a lot of long-form pieces for The Athletic. Do you prefer one medium over the other? So I get this question a lot, as you might add, uh, uh, expect, and my, my pat answer is television is more fun, but writing is more gratifying. Um, and I'm extremely fortunate that, that I get to do both, you know? Um, you know, if, if you look at me during the NCAA tournament and, and you've had enough experience, Dan, now doing television to understand this, um, it really is as fun as it looks. It might actually be more fun because the only see, the public only sees of us when we're on the air. But as you know, just being in a studio all day and watching games and eating food and talking trash and having a good time, not only with your on-air partners, but everybody who's a part of the mix, 
that's a big part of the difference too for me, Dan, is that writing is ultimately a very lonely experience. It's just you and your uh, keyboard and and the page, and then you know editors and whatnot work their way into it. But that 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 job of producing that copy only comes from your fingers, whereas. Uh, in television, you're, you're part of a group and you're part of a team. So, and they also, for me, they really feed into each other. I mean, all of the work that I do during the course of the week prepares me for what happens on the weekends uh, when I'm on television. So if a team loses uh, that maybe nobody expects to lose, the work that I've done during the week gives me an insight that I might not have been, there's no way to know the results of all the games ahead of time. So you don't know what you're gonna be called upon to say. But I'm immersed in college basketball all year round, and especially during the season. So content-wise, it really helps me for my, for my studio duties on the weekend. You're on the desk of one of the greatest uh, hours in college basketball, Selection Sunday. Uh, I know a couple years ago, there was a leak, and another media outlet was sharing the bracket before you guys had a chance what was it like sitting on the desk? Because I'm sure in your earpiece, you had the producer maybe making a comment that something's happening that's out of our control. What was that situation like and how did you work through it? My, my producer, Tim Weinkoff, in his slight New Jersey accent saying, the bracket is on the internet. <laughs> um, and th that was doubly controversial that year because we expanded the selection show we had the turner guys in atlanta so charles and kenny uh and ernie were there uh part of the mix and i guess we were kind of sort of draw out i don't know if it was 90 minutes or a two-hour show but it was definitely longer than i want to say it was 90 minutes but it was definitely longer than an hour so a lot of people didn't like that anyway you know you can understand from a television standpoint you want to kind of draw that out and you can understand from an audience standpoint you just want the bracket i think the audience will be fine if we just put it online uh, at 601 and never heard from anybody, but then we wouldn't be able to sell commercials. So yeah, that was a little bit of an out-of-body experience, but I will tell you, Dan, I'm not surprised that you hit on this because you've been an athlete uh, and you're also now a broadcaster and a world-renowned podcaster. Um, that out, that, that That's like the best hour and the biggest hour for me of the year professionally. I mean, working the tournament and all the half times and you know, the final four is, is, is big, but I remember the very first selection show that I did was 2004 and the big uh, suspense that year was would St. Joseph's which had gone undefeated in the regular season but then lost in the first round of the 8-10 tournament with Jameer Nelson and Delonte West would St. Joseph's be the number one seed and that was the big conversation leading up to the show and I remember right before the start of the show you know we're on air filling to the top and as you know, they show all those cutaways of all the teams, you know, all their watch parties that we drop in during the course of the show. And so we showed St. Joseph's right before the top of the hour, sitting ready to watch the show. And of course, I, I knew the answer to that point. In fact, they were a number one seed. And I remember thinking, they're watching us, right? So 99.9% .9 of what I do is writing and commenting on the action. For that one hour of the year, we are the action. And so that is quite, I mean, it's like a quite a, a rush and a thrill. You get the bracket. Sometimes you only get it five minutes before the top of the show. Sometimes you get it and you know, an hour before, usually it's 15 to 30 minutes. So I don't have a whole lot of time to digest it. And, and, and of course they're reacting to the big 10 tournament that's being played that day. So it's an unbelievable rush and an unbelievable scramble. And then to have a show where midway through uh, the bracket gets out online was, um, 
pretty sucky, but it, to, my, to my knowledge, that's the only time that's happened. <laughs> yeah, well, thankfully, it hasn't happened since, and uh, something can kind of be kept secretive until, you know, the top of the hour when it's meant to be released. But I want to stay on the selection show, and I'm a guy who, with my broadcasting duties, I'm more focused on college. That's where my name recognition came. Uh, that's where more of my success was, and so that's kind of where I've kind of put my focus I hear a lot that people are frustrated when the NBA guys come in not having followed the season, uh, not understanding the lay of the land and come in and be a part of the tournament. Um, I look at it from both. They're big time personalities, Kenny Smith, Ernie Johnson, uh, as well as Charles Barkley, and they can add a lot to it. What's your take of, of being in the mix with those guys? Well, I'll be honest. I love working with them. I love being around them. I love being uh, on the air with them. And I like hearing what they have to say. I mean, look, I've kind of gotten that same question from time to time. Well, you know, you didn't coach and you didn't play. So why are you in, in this role? And my answer is, you know, if you're looking for former coaches and players, um, it's not like there's a shortage of them out there. Right. So everybody, when they see me, they know that I didn't play and I didn't coach, but I bring my perspective. And it's the same thing with Charles and Kenny. Everybody knows that they don't follow college basketball the way that Clark and I do, but um, they also know that they know basketball and that they can talk about what they are seeing and what they are thinking. And so I think it's great. And, uh, you know, the chemistry that they have with Clark and also with Ernie and Greg Gumbel, I think is, is fantastic television, as, as is always the case with those guys. We see it on their, on their NBA show. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of people talking about college basketball in the tournament. You know, I'm sure people don't necessarily hear, want to hear what I have to say. So you go to someone else. Uh, and so, yeah, and, and people need to also need to understand that, you know, a lot of people are watching the NCAA tournament who aren't college basketball fans. That's the beauty of March Madness. Everybody fills out a bracket. Everybody's in a pool. And so everybody kind of pays attention. And I love that about uh, the tournament. And I look at it. In my role, when I'm breaking things down, I am keeping that in mind. I am trying to appeal to the broadest audience possible. So, um, you know, for folks like them, um, I do think that having Charles and Kenny there, and I'll also add this, I think we're all very intentional. I, I think there was a time in broadcasting where we watched college basketball and there was a lot of talk about how that player would be in the NBA, like what team they might fit on. Um, we don't do that um, during the tournament. That, that's very intentional. Uh, I think when people are, when Kentucky fans are watching Kentucky play, when Gonzaga fans watch Gonzaga this season, they're not thinking about how is Chet Holmgren going to be as a pro. They're thinking about can Chet Holmgren bring us an NCAA championship when we try to respect that part of it. Yeah, and Gonzaga fans uh, need to enjoy the one year with Chet Holmgren, um, being able to see him in person. Because unfortunately, last year they had Jalen Suggs. And, and nobody was in the gym outside of a few parents at the end of the year when restrictions were somewhat lifted. When you look at your start to covering college basketball, uh, I would imagine it started with a passion for the game while you were at Duke. And the coaching staff at Duke with Coach K kind of being uh, transitioning out after this year and John Shire taking over, what does that feel like for you being probably closely tied to the program and cheering for the program to a certain extent, but also probably having a passion for that group? Yeah, well, listen, it's the end of an era. I mean, um, people can say whatever they want about the man, but his uh, legacy in the sport is, is unquestioned. I mean, you talk about 
I actually forget. I think it's 12 Final Fours, I want to say. I know it's five titles. Um, and yeah, he can be snarky and, and condescending and obnoxious and, and, and all those things. Um, that can happen where every single word that you say in public is parsed and dissected and analyzed uh, to the T. Uh, you know, a lot of coaches say things that um, don't necessarily put themselves in the best light, but they're not scrutinized the way that he is. And if you look at the balance of his life and his career, he's done a pretty good job managing that part of it. So um, I think it should be really, whether or not you went to Duke, um, it should be a very wistful uh, experience. And the fact that we get to go into the season knowing that it is, it is his last season. I know people are going to, you know, not uh, get tired real fast of all of the honorifics he's going to get before every game. I'm sure he's going to be honored on the road. I think he's uh, earned that. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it, you know, and of course it's happening at a time, uh, you know, Roy Williams uh, just retired and, um, you know, who knows, you know, Jim Beheim uh, is going to be coaching for that much longer, I would imagine. So you do sort of feel like that changing of the guard um, is happening. And, and I've, Dan, from my vantage point, you know, I've had a very interesting sort of front row seat to watching this arc with Duke and with Coach K. I graduated in 1992, so I was the same class as, as Christian Leitner. And if you, were, if you recall, they had all those years where they went to the Final Four and didn't win it. And everybody just rooted for Coach K and he was so nice and his players were so clean cut and they went to class and they graduated. And gosh, isn't it a shame that he hasn't won it? And, and gosh, we really hope that he does. And that changed real quick. You know, they went <laughs> two back to backs with a, a sneering, uh, sort of obnoxious, incredibly talented player in, in Christian Lander being the face of all that. And uh, it's been on ever since then. So, um, you know, I'm proud of him. I'm glad he's going out um, on a good note. I, I don't mind saying on, on a personal level, he's been unbelievable um, to me, um, both in terms of granting me access and just being respectful um, of, of me and the role that I play, which, you know, sometimes includes saying not the greatest things about him or what the team is doing. Not a whole lot of things to criticize there, but it happens from time to time. He's always been respectful of that. And he's always treated me with respect. He's been nice to my family. He's been, he's appeared in, in two of my kids' bar mitzvah videos. So I hope he knows that um, uh, retiring does not absolve him from, from number three, but um, it'll, it'll, it, it will be nice and uh, wistful for, I think a lot of people to watch him go through this last ride. That's uh, awesome to be able to cover um, your alma mater from both a insider perspective as well as um, you know, probably a passionate perspective. It's very similar, I would imagine, to, to how I call games regionally for Gonzaga here. Uh, I have inside information uh, by going to practice, talking to the coaching staff and being around it. Um, and you're cheering for the team to win, but you can't be outright cheering for the team because you have a job to do uh, in covering it fairly. When you look at the overall landscape of college basketball this season, there's lots of, of interesting storylines, new coaches, such as Tommy Lloyd, Porter, Mo Porter Mosier, Chris Beard at different places, the NIL. Is there one story that maybe you think uh, you're following closely that maybe others are missing that needs to be looked at? Well, I wouldn't say that uh, anyone is missing, but, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on the great Dan Dickow's podcast, but, you know, to me, Gonzaga is it. I mean, I, I, I always kind of make the joke or the snarky remark, I should say, because, you know, Gonzaga always goes off, gets off to a great start and they're either undefeated or they're close to undefeated. And at some point every year for like the last seven, eight years, I think someone said, well, is this Mark Hughes' best team? And I always laugh and I'm like, we say this every year, like, let's see how it all plays out. But, you know, going in, uh, this really could be his best team. Maybe 
don't know about his best team, but his most talented team, whatever the word talent means. He certainly never had a recruiting class uh, like this one, um, and which are you know high school kids. They're not under the radar. They're not international prospects that nobody's seen. They're not transfers like yourself. They are uh, hardcore, highly rated, well-known, extremely talented high school kids who are combining with uh, you know older players uh, like Andrew Nemhard and Drew Timmy, who uh, are in great position to do great things. So, um, and again, I go back to what I've talked about at the beginning, Dan, you know, this notion of, well, why hasn't Gonzaga won it? And it's, it's laughable to me. It's incredible what Mark has, has, has built out there, a program that has this kind of sustainable progress, but coming off of last season, you know, going into that championship game undefeated and not being able to pull it off. Now they're reloading again. You know, that question weighs heavily. Is this going to be the year? Is this going to be the year? So I think that's the overriding storyline. Um, you know, you mentioned some of the new coaches, certainly Chris Beard um, and, and, and the incredible Hall bringing in seven transfers to Texas. I think you could argue that outside of Gonzaga, they're also uh, they're the second most talented um, roster in the country. And then, you know, UCLA is an interesting story to me. You know, a lot of people, uh, and myself included, are going to have them preseason top five because they're basically bringing everybody back from a team that went to the final four. They're also bringing everybody back for a team that needed to go to overtime to win a first four game against Michigan State. And the one thing I really try to like pound into people, especially with the NCAA tournament, is the role that luck plays in all of this. But for a bounce here, but for a bucket there, um, that run doesn't happen for UCLA and it doesn't happen for a lot of schools. So, um, so, you know, but, but clearly, you know, with Johnny Juzang and everybody come back for UCLA and, and, and the tradition of that program, you know, can they keep that going is definitely going to be something that I'm watching. And then finally, you mentioned the NIL piece. I have to say, uh, as both a journalist and a fan, this is an area that I'm just not that interested in. I'm really not. I'm super happy and gratified that the players are going to have this ability to monetize um, their name, image, and likeness. I think there's going to be way less money there for them than, than people imagine, because now all of a sudden you have hundreds of players from power six schools trying to make money off their Instagram feeds or whatever. But and same thing with conference realignment. Like, I just think people want to watch the games, you know, like people work hard and they're dealing with their families and whatever. Like when the games come on, they want to watch the games. So um, this is a time of year where I get excited. I know you're getting excited. I think we're about six weeks away uh, from the season opener, including, by the way, Gonzaga playing Texas, uh, which is going to be in the kennel on November the 13th, I want to say. I think you're right. That's going to be a heck of a game. Oh, my God. I, I'm, I'm actually thinking of ways to um, tell my editor that, to get me. Uh, for that game i want to i want to experience that but uh, i can't wait for the games to start they're coming awesome well seth i appreciate the time uh hopefully our paths cross in new york at the studio for cbs yeah, man, we got to get in that point. studio together i see you and then you see me we got to make that we got to make that happen let's get let's get brent stover on that he's the one making all the big decisions in new york that would be great brent was on uh this summer kind of sharing his experiences and uh, I love working for CBS Sports Network. I know you do as well. And uh, I'm going to keep reading your stuff on The Athletic because you do some of the greatest stuff out there on college basketball. So I appreciate you joining. Thanks, Dan. I'm glad we can make this happen. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.